0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, You've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another Love Stories episode. This week, I'm sharing a profound conversation I had with Rainier Wilde and Christy Bourne, a couple who has a stunning story of rebuilding their marriage in the aftermath of infidelity. Together, the three of us explore the story of their relationship, starting from the day they first met, to the early years of their marriage, to the moment of rupture, and to the incredible journey of repair that they continue today. We also explore their early experiences in their families of origin and how the past traveled with them as it does for all of us. Examining what I call our original love classroom is not about making excuses or letting people off the hook. It is about understanding and honoring context. Infidelity is an incredibly challenging and activating topic, especially if it is something that you have experienced in the context of your own relationships or in your family of origin. So, you get to take this episode slowly. You can listen and pause and listen and pause. Sometimes, rebuilding trust is possible and healthy. Other times, infidelity signals the end of the relationship. The 13th century mystic and poet Rumi wrote, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. I want to invite you to meet me in that metaphorical grass as you listen. Rainier and Christie's story gives us some pretty incredible opportunities. We have the chance to empathize with the pain of infidelity. We get to delve into the context in which betrayal occurred. And we are able to glean important insights about what rebuilding trust can look like when that is the chosen path and when both partners are committed to walking forward together. I am so deeply grateful for the two of them, for being so vulnerable here on the show. And I have no doubt that this story will inspire all of us to think more deeply about the realities and possibilities of lifelong love and the hard work it requires. Christy and Rainier, thank you both for being here.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's good to be here.
0: You know, you two have agreed to join me in the studio to tell the story of your marriage. And your marriage has traveled to a lot of places. And one of the places that your marriage has traveled is betrayal and recovery. And when we spoke a week or so ago about why you said yes to being here with me today, you talked about your sense that perhaps sharing your story in this way would offer something to the two of you. Mm. But you also shared your hope that by sharing your story, you would offer to listeners a sense of validation, insight, support, maybe even hope. Mm-hmm. And there are as many stories of betrayal as there are stories of people who have gone through this journey. But I trust that our conversation will provide listeners with some points of reflection and some points of insight. What do you either of you want to say about sort of your intentions or your hopes around the yes that you gave mm-hmm. to being here?
1: I think one of the things that, as you were talking, is that our story is not an anomaly, Uh, that this happens a lot in relating and relationship, whether it's dating relationship, marriage, long-term partnership, that you um, find yourself in a place of renegotiation and rediscovery and creativity, and that these things happen more than we let on or talk about, And so my hope is that in this process, that it becomes more of a conversation that's something that's hidden. And that if people find themselves in these places, there's always ways to navigate and that they're not alone. And our story is just one story of that. I've felt alone and and you're not. And so that's one of my hopes in having this conversation today.
2: I think stories are so interesting, right? Because the more authentically you share your own experience, the more it seems to empower others to share theirs. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I ever talked about uh, some of the things that we're gonna share on today and betrayal and infidelity and, I mean, it doesn't cast me in a pretty light. Like It's not like one of those things that I just relish telling. But Mm -hmm. I remember going there in this one particular podcast and I was so unprepared For the responses, the outpouring that came afterwards, it wasn't the hate mail I thought I was going to get. It was this overwhelming sense of either, uh, oh, my God, I've been there. Or even more surprising was the, oh, my God, I've been on the receiving end of that. And hearing you speak was healing to me and my experience. And so that gives me a lot of hope about just the sharing of our story. That It belongs to us, but I think it also belongs to others as well.
0: Beautiful. I can't think of a better way to start. So let's go to the beginning. I would love for you to locate us in terms of little Christie and little Rainier. <laughs> Whatever snapshot you want to share of your family of origin, your roots, and sort of who you were before before you even knew there was a Christie or a Rainier on this planet.
1: Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I am the youngest child— My parents, I have three older brothers. I grew up in a very masculine home and also a very conservative Christian home. And so my experience of growing up was keeping up, like keeping up, making sure I was like part of the pack, included. I worked my butt off to really be included. But also I think that I had this um, story of specialness to me, too, because I was the only female in a house full of men. And trying to really negotiate what femininity meant. And I actually didn't really want to be very feminine because that wasn't what was the crowd, right? That wasn't what I was drawn to. I was like, so I really grew up um, shutting off a lot of my emotions. I would lock myself in the bathroom and cry. Like, I remember breaking my tailbone, like jumping on my parents' bed. I cracked it. I got up. I walked to the bathroom. I locked the door. And I cried. And the thing was, is that I don't think it would have been not acceptable. I just perceived. It was a perception that it wasn't because I didn't see it. I didn't see conversation. I didn't see emotion. And so um, being strong was important. Being part of the pack was important. Not having too many needs was part of it. And also having this specialness, you know, I think that was part of it, being the only girl. So I think I did a lot of comparative stuff, too, you know, because I wanted to be that. And I was also very athletic. So I was part of uh, many teams that always were very successful. Like every team I went on went to state and went to nationals and basketball, played in college. And so I was very also driven to make things work, like grit your teeth, grind it out. Like that was, and I could take it to the next level. So I had some spice to me, but really belonging was quite important. So I could slough things off to belong, I think. So, yeah, that's a little bit about stepping into planet Earth for me.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's helpful to be able to picture you in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Rainier, what do you, like, what comes up for you in terms of, like, thoughts or reactions to hearing Christy describing who she was?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, I always love it when she talks about how successful she was as an athlete because— I was kind of like a nerd, geeky outsider hmm. growing up. And I remember I actually went to a high school that played in state against her high school. Now, of course, we didn't know each other remotely at that point in time. But I kind of get a little thrilled when I hear her talking about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I landed that girl. Like That's amazing. She <laughs> <Right. laughs> should have been uh, out of your league yeah, totally. high school. <laughs> you should have been like,
0: who, what now?
2: <laughs> and I, I just love actually hearing that. You know, we have a lot of points of comparison to both the youngest. Um, Ah, I was the distant youngest only by the time I was in high school. Both my siblings were grown and gone. And also we both grew up very conservative and fundamentalist homes. Um, And so there were lots of points of comparison, I think when we first got connected that we explored. So, yeah, I think when I hear that, I think, Oh my God, so many similarities and also so many matches as much as she was driven to belong I sit here and I kind of chuckle. I think, oh, she's the lock to my key. I mean, (laughs) we really fit in these alternative ways. She was driven to kind of slough off things in order to belong. I was driven to hide rather relentlessly. As a child, I was so isolated, so often alone, that a big part of my story is kind of slinking away into the forests and, or literally to the basement of my house where I would imagine these Worlds and fantastic places where I could be the knight in shining armor, or the swashbuckling pirate, mm-hmm. and where I could imagine myself as something more than the rather realistic, invisible person that I felt myself to be. Mm-hmm. I locate that and I go, uh huh, I developed a special secret world mm. that was just mine. Yep. So that I could feel the security internally that I didn't feel outwardly. So when I start to, you know, map some of those things out. I go, okay. Wow! Right here is a lot of the points of connection. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's really powerful. It was when yeah, when you were little, you felt alone mm-hmm. and invisible, mm-hmm. and you had a really effective coping strategy. You yeah. turned yourself into all the things—the pirates. <laughs> the ahem—made uh-huh, worlds for yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: that no one else knew of. I think that was pretty crucial. to
0: Yeah, it. they yeah. were in the basement. Yeah. They were in the forest, they were tucked mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I have this memory as you're talking, I'm going on a hike with one of my brothers and like pushing myself like so hard just to keep up that I'm crying. It was like, I'm like, but like, I will not slow this thing down. So as you're talking, I was like, oh, there's that essence of me too. That's like really trying to like belong to that or not let something down or not let something fall apart we have to slow down for Christy such an interesting kind of dichotomy
0: yeah and and in that adaptation Christy like there was no it sounds like when you were little there was no world in which you would say hey guys like look where I am slow down
1: yeah oh yeah no I really worked hard not to have needs Mm -hmm. that was a big thing that actually was like we've talked like hey what do you need I'm like Mm. (laughs) Give me a second. What does that mean? (laughs) Right. So that is part of that is identifying needs and having them and saying them, speaking up.
2: I think another component of my childhood that is right here was also the heavy amount of suppression of almost any kind of thought that was outside of the box or experience. And sexuality was yes. one of those. Yeah. That was probably the main one. I mean, I, I remember being four or five years old. I mean, this is probably a ridiculous story, but I remember no running... No story is
0: ridiculous. Like, no question. <laughs> oh, this it's is ridiculous, though, I will say.
2: <laughs> okay. no, I remember being very young, and my father was a successful televangelist and very public spiritual figure. And he had offices, and as a child I'd spend time, you know, in the, the daycare or whatnot next to it. And I remember with my friend pulling our pants down mm-hmm. and running into my parents' offices, you know, with secretaries and all that. We're exposing ourselves, just uh, yeah. delighted, right? Delighted I mean, we're just these, it was this it. wonderful uh-huh. experience. Of course, they didn't think it was so delightful, right? And so I remember the, the spanking that I got off of that one, you know, and of course, these messages, don't touch yourself, don't enjoy yourself, of course, don't talk about sex, you know? Mm. I think the first time my father ever talked to me about sex, I was already 15 years old. And I think this was a really strong message of don't experience life in the body. And so that kind of coupled with that secret place, Mm -hmm. like I knew where to put those pleasures and desires Mm -hmm. in the secret place. I knew how to suppress.
0: Yeah, yeah. At four and five years old, we are, we have yet to dissociate from our bodies, right? All we know when we're little is to delight in our right. bodies. And so, I mean, you had the power, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. You had the powerful experience of pleasure and pain right there, side by side, right? <sighs> to be spanked yeah. for your delight. Yes, it's not appropriate to run willy nilly <laughs> with right. our willies going. You no, know, no, that is right. not appropriate. We do yeah. need to be socialized. Turns out. <laughs> it turns out. And. How might you have been redirected in a way that didn't pair up pleasure and pain That's right. in a way that was a – in that way, it's a, a trauma by yeah. defined as it was too much. It was too much for a four- or five-year-old to know how to put those things mm-hmm. together in any way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah. yeah. We gave our youngest son a long gestation period of, like, pleasure, yeah. right? Like, yeah. because people can be like, wow. Like, he's a little kid. His hand's in his diaper. We're like, it doesn't matter. I felt like we were kind of trying to heal ourselves from that because it was just like all of that heap shame. And I've had friends come back and say, thank you for that. Thank you for not like putting shame on your child. Thank you for not, you know, it was in the confines of our home and he was little and, you know, like it's just like beautiful. It's like, yeah, he's not different than his body at two, three years old. Right. And so I think those healing pieces were really important as we reparented ourselves and also our kids allowing for those pieces of healing to give your each of your kids the gift of being able to stay
2: in Mm -hmm. their bodies
1: yeah Mm -hmm. without punishment
2: Mm -hmm. and that was something i think neither of us experienced at all yeah
1: no way yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: no mm -mm. no you were and you were good listeners Mm -hmm. right you were you listened well i'm sure after that day (laughs) in the church office
2: right Well, I love how you actually just coupled uh, that sense of pleasure and pain. I don't think there was a single time I was disciplined in physical ways where the pre-talk wasn't given. And I'm doing this because I love you or I'm doing this because God loves you so much. And so, of course, there is this great sense that and I think it came from a good place, but there was this real sensibility to it that what I'm doing what i'm coupling this loving experience with is this profound agony mm-hmm. this deep dread that leads into actual pain yeah. that then leads into further remorse yeah. right and of course this would be a pattern that i would play out you know so much of my life when i thought of love when i thought of forgiveness all those things mm-hmm. suffering was mm-hmm. attached to it
0: mm-hmm. yeah i admire how even as you tell that piece of your story, you're able to say, like, it came from a good place. It came from a socialized place, right? Your That's parents right. internalized a message from their parents, you know, exactly. like just go right up the tree and they gave to you what was given to them and what their belief system, they weren't thinking in their minds, like, how are we going to create in our child a massive disconnect between right. his, you know, body and his mind? You no, know, mm. this was their particular, through their set of beliefs at that time, yeah. this was what they needed to do. This was their responsibility. As you are parents, and that's not to let them off the hook, yeah. but it is, when, as you say that, like what it reflects is that you have done work to kind of contextualize them.
2: Yeah. Well, they were doing the best they could. I mean, they really were. And, you know, I look back at, of course, we parent in ways that are reparenting, you know, the parenting we received. And I look at their lives and I think, oh, yeah, my mother grew up in an extraordinarily uh, permissive home and felt incredibly unfortunate in her own self that she hadn't had parents who disciplined her and all of mm. these things so here she was trying to correct and taking the advice of the people she was around tremendously costly right and yet uh, I can look and say oh they were doing the best they could that's certain yeah. Yeah. and like most of us we need to do better try harder and be more if we want to be the people we know we can be
0: Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go now to when the two of you did meet. Mostly because I really want to hear the story of how you use story at your wedding. So, the thing oh, I yeah. know is that you did something with clips from when Harry met Sally at your wedding, and you are story lovers. I am a story lover and story collector, obviously. Give us a little sense, a little snapshot of sort of your meeting, your wedding, your transition to being a couple.
1: Okay. Well, we actually met at work. It was my first job out of grad school, so I was a brand new therapist. And Rainier was a skills trainer there, and he was going through his own education and things like that. So the way we met was at work, and I noticed him because he's a really good speaker, right? And he has a presence to him. And I was walking through a break room, and he was there talking to lots of different people. And they were enraptured by him, <laughs> right? They were enraptured by him. And... I walked in. I heard a snippet of what he was saying. I was kind of like, OK, who's fella?" And so I just kind of called him on the carpet as I was walking through.
2: I just have to say, people don't do that to me a lot. You know, like even when I was younger, it's not like people interrupt the flow a ton. So here's this beautiful woman. I mean, and just I had noticed her before. This was not the first Tiny. time I had noticed her. Tiny. She had this beaming smile. And all of a sudden, she's standing in front of me. And here I am trying to, you know, trying to hold sway sure. over these yeah, yeah, yeah. individuals and work in the room. <laughs> the room yeah. And all of a sudden, she just says, what are you talking about? What's this about? And uh, talk about being enraptured. She had my attention fully in that moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was from that point. We had a little bit of banter in front of everybody. And I walked out and he walked out and I immediately called my best friend and said, hey, there's this guy. There's this guy that I noticed. And she was like, whoa, be careful. we um, will <laughs> be careful. Because we weren't really in situations to notice somebody else is the real truth of the matter.
2: Uh-huh. Do you want to say why we weren't in situations to notice other people?
1: Um, Remind me really quickly.
2: Well, we were both, I mean, quasi-dating. You were dating Mm -hmm. heavily, (laughs) and I was trying desperately to end a relationship I was in. Uh And so this was the wrong time. I mean, it was great because we knew it was the wrong time. Yeah. But part of that conversation was she talked about this boyfriend that she had, and so conversation I,
0: between the two of you? Right, in that uh-huh. break room. Uh-huh. So I knew
2: she had a boyfriend. Right. And I wasn't interested in dating either. So we were interested, but yeah. we went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was about two weeks later. Can I – is it okay? Yeah, to say that? absolutely. And I'm headed into work, and she's – no, I guess I'm headed out, and she's headed in. And again, she's sitting here with Christy. You can see she's just someone who beams. Mm-hmm. She really has mm-hmm. this wonderful glow to her. And as she was walking in – the glow was gone. I mean, there was no glow. And I don't know why I said what I'm about to say. It was not one of my finer moments. But I look over and across the street – I mean, it was across the street, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say, that boyfriend of yours dump you? Okay. Things not to say yeah, no, to someone. like maybe top
0: of the list. <laughs> right, right.
2: And she um, – it broke her in that moment. And she says – she says – yeah, that happened right after I told him I was pregnant. So this is the second time we've ever talked. And um, this was the truth clearly tumbling out of her yeah. mouth. I felt that was one of those, oh, my God, what did I just get yeah. myself into? Yeah. And so I go over and give her a hug. And as it turns out, I was one of only, you know, maybe the third person who you had told this major life event that had occurred yeah. for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was some timing, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was, I was really fighting for that past relationship. I was wanting to make that work. That was something that I had given to myself to, I think. And then when I got pregnant, it was like a light bulb went off for me. I was like, that's not the life I want. I had really been trying to make something work yeah and a light bulb went off. I was sad for lots of reasons, but I think I just didn't know what to do at that time. So it was just like, mm-hmm. within that, we found each other in these spaces where we created friendship out of that because I wasn't available. He wasn't available. But uh, we just became really wonderful friends during that time of where's life going to take us? Um, where the decisions we're going to make now? Um for me, um, that new life growing in me was permission to make a new life. I sat there and said, what do I want? And I'm like, this is where you get to choose. And I'm like, I want two new lives. I want one for me and I want one for this child. And let's get going. I had all kinds of other things in the backdrop, right? But that was very clear to me at that time in my life. And we just walked together. I mean, we really physically walked because I was sick a lot. Yeah. But he became a walking partner, whether it was in conversation or actually a physical walking partner. Uh, We just like tilled the land. And I would say our worlds outside of that were kind of spiraling. But the gift we gave each other was um, like calm in the storm.
2: When I found her to be immensely inspiring, I had just gone through a really crummy divorce and I had two children who were a part of that and I was trying my best to learn how to co-parent and be a father and also just be a self, I think, on the other side of having gotten out of what was a a very young marriage and happened very early on. Mm -hmm. I was still a teenager when I got married. Oh my gosh, Uh, And so now, you know, eight years later had ended this and- And so friending this person, but she was tremendously inspiring to me because she had this major crisis Uh that didn't stop her. Instead, it catapulted her into making choices to change her life. And I was so inspired. Life can just sideline us. You know, it can take us out. And that was the very opposite of what I was hearing. Here was someone who was now making profound choices. And so I think bringing that back to my life, I felt just honored to kind of sit in front of her sometimes. Occasionally I would hit this wall of shame, you know, because again, coming from a family, my family did not approve of my divorce. Her family did not approve of, you know, this, yes. this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, but she would sometimes, you know, feel this shame. And I, I was like mystified. Why would you ever, I mean, this is amazing. You're having a baby. How incredible. And so I think I would be encouraging to her, but really I was just awestruck. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of how, how that dating went.
1: Mm-hmm. I think our, our shame was so high, too, at that time. Like, we were just dealing with what we had to deal with. Yeah. I was dealing with my stuff, and he was dealing with his stuff. And so we were supporting each other and the dealing of it. But I don't need to know all of it because it's not my stuff yet. Right, right, right. Like, I'm your friend, and you've got this. And, you know, like, it was really encouraging. Like, I remember when you were saying to me, like, no one laughs at my jokes. And I would laugh all the time because I found such pleasure in him and who he was in the world. It's really wild to think about because I just graduated, a graduate school degree, marriage and family therapy. This is my first job. Like, I'm very invested in story. I'm very invested in family of origin. I went to school because there was a lot of dysfunction in my family of origin, um, sexual abuse and things like that. So it was like, That is what drove me to that place was like family of origin, like changing the cycle of like your family. It was it's bizarre to think about how we didn't call those things into question as much as like finding the eye of the storm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The image I have right now is like young
0: kids doing parallel play. There is clearly it's parallel play in that, like we're super connected, like it is way more fun to play with my toys while I'm next to you playing with your toys, mm-hmm. there's a mutuality to it, but we're both engaged in our own things side yeah. by side. But So much like what you're describing here is there was profound comfort yeah. and appreciation of sharing space with each other, witnessing each yes. other. So there, it was a kind of closeness. It was a kind of intimacy, mm-hmm. but it wasn't intimacy as defined. As some of the ways that we often define it in terms of, right, like I'm unpacking you and you're unpacking me, and we're kind of like there's a sizing up process that happens when we do that and a understanding what am I getting myself into. And so it wasn't, you weren't doing that, but you were certainly developing a bond and an attachment mm-hmm. and a foundation.
1: Yeah. It was almost like an acceptance of like essence versus like what's under that. You know, it was just like that enjoyment, the energy, the. It it wasn't the calling in to question those things. So, honestly, if we were talking to people today, we're like, don't do that. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is a bad idea, (laughs) all right? We see people, like, you know, talk about red flags. We're like, yeah, you need to really ask those questions, right? Like, (laughs) do your homework. I mean, the funny thing is, is that we would – not recommend that, uh-huh. you yeah. know, uh-huh. today, how we found ourselves. But it was so interesting. I think a lot of people outside of us were very worried or concerned because of our different circumstances, and we weren't worried about them.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think, like, and I've used this expression before, we gave each other the gift of illusions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes that's what it takes to get one another out of the profound isolation you feel. Like, it got us off the couch. You know, we had both kind of been isolating our hearts, I think. And these illusions that we gave each other somehow um, motivated us to leave our individual uh, lives and find one another. Eventually, the illusions would fall away Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and we would be left with reality. But I think, you know, if you think about that first stage of relational development, like union and this profound drive to merge – boy, we felt that really strong. And it wasn't too long in the process. I don't know who felt it first. I like to think I'm the one who noticed first. But man, that smile got brighter and brighter. And I began to find these feelings uh, in my heart. And then she she had um, her daughter. I was present Randomly, I just happened to be at the house. We were taking a walk when she went into labor. So I'm the friend who drives her to the hospital. I stay up all night with her dad. And, you know, her mom comes out and said, well, this is kind of weird, isn't it, that you're here? Uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh, and uh-huh. it was. Uh-huh. Um, but it wasn't. Uh-huh. I mean, it made so much sense to us. And it wasn't too terribly long before we looked at one another and we said, oh, we're doing family. Uh-huh. This is actually what we're doing uh-huh. with all the feelings attached. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I said, I love you, you know, it was interesting because so much of my life, love was a feeling. And since then, love was a feeling, you know, cathexis or whatever that experience is where you have this profound outpouring of emotion. But in that moment, it wasn't just that. I recognized that I had this dedication to her and her daughter's long-term goodwill. Yep. And that that's what I wanted, even in deference at times of my own um, experience, I, this is what I want for you. I want your good. And I knew I loved her and I knew I was committed to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I said that for the first time to her. I said, hey, I, I love you. And she looks at me and says, thank you. (laughs)
0: everyone's favorite response to that
2: yeah we'll share i I had just written a song too i mean i had even i also have an accompanying song
1: (laughs) (laughs) perhaps this
2: one i think
1: i think that part though is that um for both of us i'm going to say for me is that i didn't feel like i wanted to treat love lightly and so I think I have more of that avoidant attachment style. Like if I'm giving myself to you, I'm going to give myself to you. And I think more of the anxiousness on your side. But when I say this, because I'm bringing stuff with me, I feel the power of what I'm bringing with me and you're bringing your stuff. Um, So I think in that moment, I didn't want to treat those words as though they were just words. And I didn't believe that's what he was doing. I just wanted when I said them, you know, I wanted them to have like the meat, the potatoes kind of experience, because I think I knew the gravitation of giving myself to that. I have so much
0: empathy for couples as they're in that turning point, mm-hmm. because the chances of both people feel, I mean, no, it's, it's never the case that both people feel the exact same thing at the same timing, right. or that the quality of what those words, I love you, mean is different, right? So Rainier, you were saying something to Christy that was about, it's sort of the M. Scott Peck definition yes. of love, right? Like That's it. ongoing commitment to someone else's spiritual well-being mm-hmm. and development. That's really what you were yeah. saying. But we never, you know, those words are so loaded with different tones and strands of what it means. And Christy, you knew that when you got to the point of saying it to Rainier, it was going to have something about you really letting yourself, letting your avoidant attachment style Fade to the back and really taking a risk to open in a way. So it was a different process than what Rainier went through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, just in the experiences of it, like he told me this, he was been on a trip, he sang a song. And when I uh, communicated the same to him, he, at this place I was living, we were in the basement folding baby clothes. Like we were in the muck of life. Like this was reality that we're folding baby clothes and we're sitting there and I'm thinking, yeah. In the middle of all this. And if I know this to be true, this is love. Right. It's not up here. It's here. I feel it to my
2: to my bones. It was a gift, though, that she didn't say it back. Uh. You know, you use that phrase or that word anxious. There's an aspect to saying that word, which can sometimes play to that anxious style, which is like, I'm going to say this word. So that you'll say it back to me so that I'll feel it. Right. And I recognized that's what had happened. When I said it, I knew I meant it, but I also knew I had to mean it even if she didn't say it back. (laughs) And so I continued to say it knowing that it actually didn't have to be her experience. It was true for me. And that was enough. And that felt really good to not be manipulating her with this experience I was having, but to simply show up to my own experience. And I felt... Really good about that. I did feel a little queasy at the thought that she wouldn't. Yeah, it, yeah, for sure. But it it felt like I was standing on something solid, maybe for the first time.
0: It's the opposite of the swashbuckling guy in the basement, right? Mm. Who's kind of hiding and can't be seen. You are really you are letting yourself be seen, be vulnerable with in the uncertainty of yeah. where is this going to go.
2: So it, then it wasn't too long after that that. I mean, there was a, a few months, but you know, we were doing this family thing, and we wanted yeah. it to be clear both to my two sons and then to our families and the mm-hmm. people we were with. And so, I remember walking on a road with Christy, and I looked over and said, "What do you need to feel more married?"
1: Mm.
0: I
2: love that to question. To feel more married? Yeah, oh,
0: I love that uh, uh-huh. because there was this to sense. Feel more uh-huh. It was
2: beautiful, yeah. and so you know, I think that question. I mean it probably disarmed me also when it came out of my mouth. I don't know if I thought of it all that much, but suddenly now here we are with this opening, this yeah. question about like what agreements do we want to have? What shape does this want to take and
1: I think that was really a beautiful birthplace. And I don't think that we had a lot of tools to create something outside of tradition. Sure. And so, I mean, I look at that today and it was so generous. You coming out of a previous marriage and having other relationships, I'm, you know, like coming out of relationship, child, your children. It was really generous to say it doesn't need to look how it's always looked. And I think we just made it look like what we thought it should look like. But that opening you're talking about, like, oh, there's where the, that was the beginning. And we really understood marriage as a traditional landscape from what we grew up with. But oh, I love that, that, that question. You understood marriage in a traditional
0: landscape because our entire culture does, right? There really is. There is a doorway and you Mm -hmm. go through it and it is, you either go through it or you don't go through it. And there are a set of legal agreements. Mm -hmm. So there is, right? That was, I think we can have these more spiritual, unique conceptualizations of the agreements we're making relationally. Mm -hmm. And there is an actual set of real life consequences that happen when you, right, sign those papers. So that,
2: that made sense. We knew we wanted to do something different, though, because, you know, we designed our wedding. We didn't call it a ceremony. We called it a reception So it was staged like just a giant party. Mm-hmm. And we had kind of scheduled friends and family members and then, of course, ourselves to just tell stories, stories of our childhood, stories of when they knew us. Then we would get the opportunity to tell stories also. During that, So the whole ceremony was, again, just a giant party of people yeah. talking and then sharing their stories of us Beautiful. because what we understood was we were blending mm-hmm. these storied lives.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that part of those stories, I, I love uh, hearing stories and recounting them because there's so many aspects that I forget and how we created that place. And I also think we created it because we wanted to actually kind of control it a little bit, too control the narrative, control those aspects, because I think people around us were not quite sure still. And so there's elements that we wanted to look this way and have these voices speaking because we also wanted to control our story, which I think is great and fine. And there also was this beauty of blending and storytelling and... And I just think in that space, we were still trying to break those traditions, right? Like yeah. I remember my, my dad didn't walk me down the aisle. That was a big heartbreaker, you know, and I felt bad about that. Or I didn't want this aspect or this aspect. We were breaking molds from the beginning, but really having that backdrop of tradition still, right? Like it didn't take long before we started patting ourselves out of traditional yeah. Even though, right. Even though you called it a reception money <laughs> yeah.
0: and there were, right. So you were, you really were trying to create something that was different than the mm-hmm. very, I mean, having the fact that you both grew up in conservative mm-hmm. Christian homes, right. All that tradition is right there for the taking, right. It would have been easy to replicate. And so you created a transition to marriage that was different from, and maybe a protest against mm-hmm. of what you had mm-hmm. been raised as. And yet, in your transition to marriage and your married life started to take on many of the forms that were traditional, you're saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we tried our best, I think, and that, like, we tried our best to have openness and variation and, you know, um, yeah.
2: But the ruts are pretty strong. The grooves are pretty strong and we default back. And, you know, very quickly after that, the scene then becomes Christy at home with three kids specializing in the home yeah, Regardless of the fact, this is a highly educated, highly independent, successful woman. But, you know, she says to me at one point, hey, I, I really want to stay at home with our children. Mm-hmm. And now I also who had never really had the concept of that I would be the sole specialist. Well, OK, let's make that happen. And so now I am specializing outside the house yep. and doing the work. So I'm working full time. She's momming full time. Mm-hmm. And we're becoming those strangers from one another again. Mm -hmm. Your
0: spheres were so separate. Your Mm -hmm. stresses were so different. Mm -hmm.
1: We became very um, alienated very quickly because the way that we met one another was very individualistic, right? In terms of our experiences and how we like the kind of conversations that we were having and I think he was really attracted to my mind you know like oh let's talk and it was like we had time and it was so wonderful and then I became a mom of three very fast I was like I got nothing I have nothing to talk about there are no thoughts yeah there are actually nothing And he was just just so sad. sad right like because that's where you come from and I was exhausted I was depleted and it was like well I remember there was this other part of you like where did it go and I'm like Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Like, where did it go? It was kind of watching that sadness overtake us, and and he was gone, and I was there. And uh, when I quit my job to stay home, my place of employment said. Yeah, it seems like your family life is getting in the way of your work life. And I was like, great. You yeah, made it really thanks. easy for me, right? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. like I'm trying to like uh, pump, you know, at at work. And everyone's like, just put a picture up and just, you know, the milk will come. And I'm like, yeah, right. Uh-huh. There's nothing that is going to substitute being with your children. Right. So it was just um, all the things, all the tips that people are giving you to try to make ends work. And I had, um, yeah, very traditional modeling too. So I can't say that I didn't want to be with all my kids, and I really wanted to make it work. Our sons at the time were four and six when we got married, or four and five. And then our daughter was four months old when we got married. And so I really wanted to make that work. And if you put me in the context of my family of origin, like, I'm going to make this work. Absolutely. Like, That's you right. That's it, and your specialty. It, and it is going to be good. And you watch out, right? Like, and so I think that was the idea: is that I'm going to make this work. But really, all that energy from our connection really shifted to the family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't have. I just it was very unbalanced. I lost myself, and I think this happens. Like, I have so much compassion for new moms. I'm like, oh, absolutely, you know. And so it's very natural, and at the same time, as blending it all together, we just lost we lost one another pretty quickly.
2: We did actually have some real tragedies happen fairly early on. We knew that we wanted to blend our family and have children together also. And we lost two pregnancies during that time. Mm -hmm. I remember the second miscarriage in particular because Christy scheduled the ultrasound on my birthday as a gift because we had just lost this other pregnancy several months earlier. And so here's this beautiful gift. I, we got pregnant again. And so we go in to the place. And I mean, I remember the song playing as they're doing the ultrasound. And I remember the texture, the temperature. yeah. And she's searching for the baby's oh. heartbeat, and it, it's not there. And I'm seeing Christy as she's doing yeah. now, just begin to cry. Melt, and something really interesting in me happened. Something snapped. Like I knew I had to be strong for her. Mm -hmm. I remember almost physically taking those feelings of deep sadness and just pushing them in, Uh and then holding her arm as you know we went to the operating room. And then what's so strange is we leave the operating room. It's my birthday. She had scheduled a group of friends to come over and play Settlers of Catan. And so we went right home and we sit down with friends who don't know that we've just had this. And we play a game. And I think that this scene is so important because we're both dying inside.
0: Absolutely.
2: And we're not talking about it with each other or anyone else. We're just handling it.
0: You're playing a game.
2: We're playing playing a game. That's it.
1: And we're doing what we would uncover later They were both really good at.
0: It is exactly what you knew. It's your first way that you knew how to do relationship alone, hidden, and just
1: keep going. Yeah. So we just kept doing like that experience. The conversation around this experience has only been in the last couple of years that I've heard his experience Uh, because he had been protecting me. And I think you really identified it as a place that where he dropped, right? Like that went inward in his experience. And mine, like it was the shut down emotion, shut down thoughts, shut down needs, right? So we just went to what we knew and just persevere. And it's a really great example of how we miss one another. And we have many of these sliding door moments where we could reach for one another and open up this beautiful connection. And we just pivot the other direction and keep going in the way that we knew. So missing those. And the culture did you both a profound disservice because I can
0: imagine, Rainier, in that moment, Hmm. you did everything that our culture has taught every boy and every man to do, which is just be there for her. That's right. Be there for her. On top of the fact that we don't have great grief rituals Hmm. as a culture around miscarriage and loss of pregnancy, right? So we we don't honor that kind of loss, I think, nearly as much. We weren't prepared as a culture to wrap the two of you up the way you needed to be wrapped up. Then you layer in that Rainier has been taught, all right, well, then you just shut down and you just hold her arm and you just – Christy, it's only recently you've even been able to access Mm -hmm. Rainier's sadness.
1: Yeah. And it was very powerful to see because then I could see like the trend, like I could see that and I could mourn with him. Right. Like we had these right. individual mourning right. experiences, which I didn't feel him in that. I didn't see what he was doing. And so today, hearing those things, breaking those aspects open, I'm drawn to him in that. Like I can hold that space for him, too, because... Um, I was there. <laughs> you were there. I That's was right.
0: There. The two of you are the only two people that know mm. that exact loss in that exact way. Okay. Yeah.
2: And at that point, I was already a therapist. And it wasn't just her arm that I was holding. I then took all of that uh, that inner sadness and converted it into, okay, I'm helping others now. <laughs> so I was blissfully able to avoid self-healing by participating in healing others, which I look on, you know, just the culture and the industry. And I think, well, that also is a part of that, you know, it's like, I remember this one moment not too long after. And I drive home from work. And we had this old house with big, big front windows. And I drive home and I see Christy and the kids playing in the front window. And I see a giant. Fort made out of all the furniture (laughs) and there's a lot of laughter and there's a lot of chaos. Yep. And boy, my inner world is all chaos. The last thing in the world I need is more chaos externally. So I drive past the house Hmm. and I keep driving and she's in the house and she sees me keep driving. Uh huh. And I think that that little snapshot, which again, we didn't really know that that we had both kind of seen that. But again, that I think is a really clear picture to what was happening in our worlds, Mm -hmm. that we were looking at each other, Uh And we're missing Missing each each other. other.
1: Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that same memory we've talked about, I was inside desperately wanting him. Sure. Are you home yet? Yeah, are you home yet? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we okay? Do you want to be with us? Right? Like, I'm lonely in here too. Like, I'm lonely. So it's so interesting, like, recalling that because we weren't that different. Mm -hmm. But on the outside or through that glass, it felt so different worlds apart worlds apart and in reality reaching across being able to hold each other and see that we couldn't do yet no Mm -mm. Um, but uh, that's why it's been helpful today to go back to those memories and those experiences because we can hold it and say yeah me too yeah and the compassion that you each
0: needed Mm -hmm. The, Mm -hmm. the witnessing and the compassion that you each needed in that moment So can you take us to the infidelity?
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think actually where we are in that story really sets it up pretty well in my mind. I had just kind of taken on this new career. um, And I know there was a lot of insecurity in me going into that. And I began a relationship with someone who had been one of my superiors in the organization. And I was immensely flattered by that attention. Um, Just it was an overwhelming moment that suddenly it appealed to all of my need to be noticed, Mm -hmm. to be affirmed, to have that security. And so that began to kind of go on behind the scenes. The truth is, though, when I look at that event, I think, God, you know, sometimes we talk about the infidelity, the event, all the way back to childhood. There's this cavern of secrets. There's this basement. Mm -hmm. And there's this suppression of sexuality and desire and all of those things Boy, I knew where to put all those secrets. Mm-hmm. I know where to put all those desires. And so, like so many, I think, individuals, pornography and connection, searching out for flirtation, all of those things began to be a part of my hidden life. Yes. Because I was really reaching out, see me, know me, mm-hmm. say I'm okay, because I don't feel okay. <laughs> I don't feel no. And so when finally someone saw and noticed, it was like, ah, Mm -hmm. I began to thrill to that. And it lasted for a time. Therapists having affairs with one another is like one of the most common tropes, I think, in the the Western world in the last hundred years. And it's like a really bad idea sometimes because you're two feelers who are just vibing off of each other the whole time. And, you know, one thing leads to another and it becomes pretty toxic. Also... These are your coworkers. Yep. And so the relationship ends, and it, it sort of ends really poorly. Like, we're not talking to each other anymore. We're now separating our offices from one another, and now there's avoidance. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least on my part, trying my best to forget that that ever happened mm-hmm. while continuing to have now this unleashed desire to be seen, be noticed. So the habits are still there. Yep. I'm still, you know, like a character in someone else's bad novel, um, all the while trying to pretend like I'm this well-composed, put-together therapist, this good man who has all of his desires, yeah. you know, down pat. So after the relationship ends, roughly a year goes by before the toxic environment explodes Uh. people begin to know the organization is not happy i mean all of the things that you could imagine and that was when my executive director calls me in and says hey we've got to talk there's a problem and of course there was like of course there was a problem (laughs) right but what was so humorous and i look back on this and i think oh this is a great sign that my shadow was just really suppressed because when he said there's a problem i remember going. What problem?
0: You thought you had this all
2: put in a box. Absolutely. Uh I was almost indignant. Uh Uh-huh. What what are you talking about? I took care of that. Yeah, me? No, this is fine. Yeah. And I leave the office that day while everyone's trying to sort out how we're going to figure this out. I call my best friend who had known about my secret life also. And I tell him this is happening. This is all going to bubble out. And he says, what are you going to tell Christy? Now, here's where those sliding door moments start to really get good. I knew I had a choice. Mm -hmm. I really knew it. I'm driving up that hill to go home, and I know that I can tell Christy half-truths, I can deny, or I can use this as an opening to begin to integrate that secret life that I knew was killing me. Mm -hmm. And so I told him, I said, I'm gonna tell Christy everything. Mm -hmm. He's like, whoa, that's brave. And I was too stupid in that moment to know it was brave or not. I just knew it needed to be done. And so I drive home and Christy's just excited to see her husband home early from work. Yeah, And I had called my mom and asked if she would come be with the kids for a couple of days while we went to the beach. And yeah, my mom is like a pretty wise woman at this point. She's on the phone and she says, "Have you done something stupid? Have no you done? She, she did. Oh, these moms. And you know, I got all flustered. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, mom. <laughs> and she said, "Well, you need to fix it. Mm-hmm. You fix it. And she came over, and I say, "Christy, let's head to the beach. And Christy packed her bags and we got into the car. Hmm. Um, did you have a
1: son's? Yeah. I did. I felt like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Like, I, the energy was just so different. Like, I knew it wasn't just a alert because it felt a little panicked. It felt a little rushed. And here's the deal. This relationship, I'd already warned him about. Like, we already had conversations about, I don't know how far he was into that when we had talked. I was like, you got to watch out for this. This is something I'm I'm worried about, that I'm sensing, that I'm feeling. So I think in those aspects, like, I already, that was on my radar. When he came home that day, I just felt heaviness. I felt like there was a panic. So on the way, we're in a car, and he tells me, and the bottom just drops out, right, like, You're hearing just, like, noise in your ear, right? Like, you're not—you've left your body, you know? So I think, like, for me immediately, I just lost it in terms of crying so hard that I couldn't catch my breath kind of experience. Yeah, I think in those moments, you just feel like your world has ended, um, what you thought was, what you imagined was, who you thought you're in a relationship to, who they are, that they could possibly do that, that they would have the capability to do that. You're just spinning, just spinning was that experience for me. It was, and I'm in a car, I'm like, I'm stuck in here, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, of course we could pull over, of course we do that, but you're just in it. I was just there. It was like, I didn't have like... I need to pull over. I was like, I need to, I got to get back in my body (laughs) kind of experience. Right. You could have been
0: walking during that news and you still would have been experiencing the shattering.
1: Absolutely. That's just where I was. And so it's just like, okay, I'm here. And I would have been there wherever I was. Yeah, that experience for me, that, that event at Time and Space was, yeah, I had to... Mm, see a life that I didn't know was there.
2: I think that's it. And the way it unfolded, I think, was very parallel, actually, because when you're living in secrets and lies, as I was, half-truths and untruths, you become a stranger from yourself. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I'm now hearing words come out of my mouth that are having profound, Found effect onto this person I really do love thoughts that hadn't occurred to me like oh this could devastate the human being who I've declared at points in time and do in fact feel to be the most important person in my world mm-hmm. and now I'm having to consider myself in a new light also mm-hmm. that I am the kind of person who is capable of this kind of magnitude of of devastation Um. I don't think anything prepared me in my life mm-hmm. to witness the impact that my decisions could have yeah. on this woman that I loved.
0: Yeah. It was a sh- a shattering for you also because uh, it was in such a different compartment yeah. inside of you and the shattering was that you had to bring your set of choices to this the woman right. that you right that you had any number of times prevented hurting or tried to tend to right. her hurt. And now it was your choices
2: that's right. that created the hurt. And, you know, sh- she began to ask questions. The next two days we actually had together. I never know if that's smart or not. I look back on that. I go, yeah, hmm. That might have been unfair to sequester us in a cabin at the beach. But
1: Well, first of all, I want to say something. On the way to the beach, this is a well-trodden path. So, like, the beach is an hour and a half from where we live. I see this mountain that I've climbed before and I look at him and we're driving a Prius at the time because it's the thing to do, right? And so we have this real <laughs> subpar car, you know, gets good guess. I like, I look at the mountain as well. I'm like, I need you to drive up that mountain now, like take me up there. Cause I'm like, I need to get this out of my body. Like I need to move this out. I'm so physical. Like I have to move whatever this is out, like get me up there. So he's like, okay, you know, like whatever you need, you know, like I'm just like, I need to get this energy out. And we're driving to Prius on this silly mountain. So we pull over gravel roads, like you should have a Subaru. You should have, you should have the kind of wheels and we get a flat tire up there and it's starting to get dark, you know, because it's like after work. So this is like, it's getting dark. And the funny thing is here comes a guy with a Subaru and the guy with a Subaru comes down and he is like, A Greek god. Like, he has no shirt on. Oh, no! He's wearing, like, leather pants. And he's driving the Subaru, and he pulls over, and he's like, hey, guys, what do you need? He's like, all laid back. You know, and I'm like, of course, like, just look, like, horrible and Rainier looks horrible, right? And we have this really bow dunk car with a flat tire. He's like, Hey, you should never be out here without having a spare and knowing how to take care of it. And he has like mushrooms in the back of his car and he has like a bow and arrow. And He's a like,
2: stag. He's just my, killed Yeah. His bow and arrow. I'm just like,
1: well, that's the kind of man I need right there, just right? get into your Subaru. Right. <laughs> you can take me where we need to go, my friend, right? Like he knows how to do some things, right? Uh, but there was some moments of that that were just like kind of levity and laughter. And so the point is we didn't get to the mountain because we couldn't get there. And then we had to like creak down on a donut tire, right, to get down to like really working through our stuff. And so I don't know if it was a good idea or not a good idea to be in that space for that time. But we were. And we found that we could talk about things, that we could work through. I think, like, I had the space of the outdoors. I could move my body. I could move emotion. I could find the availability to sit and to talk. It was uncomfortable. It didn't feel good. But we did it. You know, when therapists are supporting a couple who is in
0: the wake of infidelity, as you both know, they're sort of the early phase of just trying to create stabilization and supporting like that moving of emotions through and and then there's the more meaning making mm-hmm. and decision making and erotic recovery, right? Sometimes that's mm-hmm. sort of the rough storyline and I wonder what that mm-hmm. if it feels like there were what the chapters were sort of in your recovery.
1: Mm, yeah, I think those first steps, like moving some of that emotion, stabilizing. I don't know how long it took us to stabilize. I'm sure that was the very beginning, right, of that. I think for me, part of those places was asking questions. And I really was adverse to asking questions. I mean, that's my part of my shtick, right? Like repress those things. Like if I don't know, it probably won't hurt me. I mean, like, that is a real horrible way to be in the world. But I think I didn't know I could handle those things. I knew how to problem solve. I knew how to make things work functionally. Like, if you want to problem solve, I will figure it out. Right? And so practically, but in terms of emotional space, like, sitting in that was excruciating. And that's probably one of the the biggest lies for me is, like, if you don't know, it'll be better for you. What you don't know won't kill you. It was like, actually, that's opposite of my experience, right? It's like, oh, those things I didn't know, they actually were killing me. And you did ask questions.
0: So that was, wow, that was so different for you. That is not how you had historically.
1: Right. And so that was the beginning of it is asking, well, what was it? What was happening? How long was it going on? Do you love this person? Are you with this person? do you want to be done? Like, do you want to go? Please go if you want to go. Like, I can't keep you here. Yeah. Like, what is this thing? And so asking those questions at the onset were an important piece of knowing what was there for the first time.
0: Right. Different from how you had usually coped, but it was the way in which you were starting to get your mind and your heart around what am I dealing with? What is the scope of this? What you were trying to get yourself on solid ground of like, what is this?
1: Yeah, that was a stabilizing force. That's a really great way to say it. Like if I'm putting my foot down, what am I putting my foot down on and who am I in relationship with and to? And that was um, yeah a very important step in that. Did you feel Rainier
0: being able to show up to those questions and attend to the
1: questions? Those truths were, I think, as much of the truth as we knew then. Like, life continues to build. And so at that time, absolutely. I think he showed up in those ways that he answered the questions that I had. And I also, with my own kind of training, I knew that there was more to the story. It was like, OK, well, how long has this been going on? Like, I started asking probably therapist type of questions. I got into what is this? Is this a pornography addiction? I was like really trying to figure out is this addiction? Is this relationship? Is this you want out? Like, I was really trying to find framework so I could have an understanding. And I'm sure that helped my emotional space too, right? Like <laughs> keep me some distance from it. But I really wanted to understand what was going on. Will you say say that's part of that experience for you?
2: Yeah. um, I remember you grilling me, which was totally appropriate in the moment. And uh, a gift. Because, again, the decision I had made was that I was going – I was going to be seen by her and I was going to let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. And I think so many years of not saying things uh, at that point had kind of dulled my mouth a little bit. So she was asking very pointed questions to which I was very grateful and began to answer them. And I had this sense, actually, um, there on the beach as we were walking and she is just asking me, you know, rather relentlessly, is, is this yeah. love? Is this sex? Is, what is this? It was like plates in the air that I had been holding up and they were all kind of crashing down. Mm-hmm. One of those plates was like my, my fear of career. I'm, I'm going to lose everything here. And then another plate was like our relationship. And another plate was, you know, our family. And, and then another plate was my sense of self. And I remember thinking if I can actually hold that plate through telling the truth to create congruence between that inner and outer world, mm-hmm then I can start to build my life again, not beyond us, but I can have something solid to build on. Mm -hmm. So I became, as much as I could, really attuned to owning up to what I knew was happening and had happened. I also knew in that moment I didn't want to lose Christy. I knew that actually I choose this relationship. It was one of those clarity moments for me. Uh, Maybe it was in in one of those questions, you know, like, are you done? no, no, I, I choose this. And that became just very important for me that night. And I've shared this before, but I I think it could go again. We're saying because that night after all of those discussions and questions, we're staying there in the cabin and I'm sleeping on, you know, like an Ottoman and Christy's sleeping on the bed and the rooms are separate. And we had gone to bed, I think, at a reasonable hour, like nine or so. And at around two in the morning, I hear her just moaning in sadness mm-hmm. and tears. Um, and then I hear her call my name. Mm-hmm. And she asks if I'll come to the bed. And um, I really have no clue what I was thinking in that moment. Uh, probably feeling very graced to even... Be addressed at all. Um, I came to the bed, and I just—I remember standing there for what seemed like forever. And then she asked me, "Will you lay down on the bed?" So I did, and I—I I felt so much shame suddenly that laying down on the bed, as far from her as I could, was all I knew. I didn't want to touch her because yeah, I didn't feel that yeah. would be respectful at all. Or, um, and then she said, "Will you hold me?" And uh, I remember my arms wrapping you up in that moment. Um, and I've said this, and every time I say it, it becomes more true. You know, that was the first moment I held you. It, there wasn't anything in between us in that moment anymore. Whatever would happen was from then on. Um, I didn't know what the decisions would be, but I knew that I was in that moment with her. Mm-hmm.
0: I um I want to sort of focus on this piece of Christie's relentless questions as being a stabilizing force and your your description of the plates right that the mm. the plates are falling it's making me think about you know how panicked a person who has just been discovered or a person who's disclosed and I know it can feel to the person who's been hurt It can feel like the person who's done harm is holding out Mm -hmm. on them or trying to continue. And I think there are times where it is, I'm holding out on you. I'm trying to control a situation. But I think as you were describing it, it was such a reminder to me that sometimes the person who has done harm is just trying to story it for the first time themselves. So it's not a holding out. It is just, I don't know what this is Mm -hmm. any more than you know what this is. And so what I'm just trying to offer you this in the moment. You were trying to make sense of it in real time, which is horrible for you who wants and needs answers and understanding, Christy, and that it, you were giving what you could give yeah. in that moment because it was chaotic for mm-hmm. you.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting that you say that because one of the first things that happened after that moment, being a part of the healing community, I had people I had mentors. I had other people who, of course, I had never needed professionally. Mm -hmm. They were peers and betters. But I hadn't reached out to them in this capacity. But coming back from the beach... I knew that I personally or we together needed those other stabilizations. One of them that I called was I'm a, just a really brilliant expert on sexual addiction. And I didn't know what was going on for me, yeah. but, I, yeah. but I'm now asking the question, hey, what is this also? And so I sat down with this much older man who had experienced, you know, 25 years ago his own crisis and not only uh, educationally or from an authoritative place, knew what was happening, but from an experiential place. He had experienced many of these things. So I'm sitting there and I'm telling him you know, my story. And, and he's like, yeah, I, I think you've got some problems to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> and he says, I think you should come to, uh, to my group on Saturday. And he had kind of a very select private group, largely compiled of therapists, pastors, attorneys, very, yeah. you know, like people who don't go to other groups. Yeah. And so I, I show up Uh, to this group that following Saturday, really, because now I'm doing everything, you know, to try to rescue. And I am floored by their honesty. You know, they're going around each man in the room is saying, Hey, I'm here. And I'm here because this, 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 Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never heard that level of vulnerability and honesty. And I've certainly not heard it in my own life. So now that's calling into question, even the honesty that I had just given her, you know, suddenly I'm like, Oh wow! There's, there's so much more I can be, and they come to me like, "Why are you here?" And I crack a joke. I say, "I'm here as a reporter trying to do a story on addiction," you know, and they're all like, "Ah, idiot," you know. But I begin to learn.
0: Well, you were showing them. You were showing them. Here's here's how I'm going to come into this space. Absolutely, (laughs) because I don't know what the hell any of this is about. So. uh
2: And that container for me though was so important. I think in our relationship because I begin to witness other men in particular who were being very vulnerable and honest, if not just one place. And that showed me that I could be more so. So I think, you know, if you can almost think of like an expanding angle out that inception, that starting point, a very narrow lens of truth. But from that, it became larger and larger what was coming out of me in relationship to where we were.
0: It's really powerful to hear you say that you didn't even know there was an ability to be a human who would tell their stories in that way, who would do vulnerability in that way. It's again this idea of it wasn't that you were withholding right. it was that you just didn't know there was this other way of living. Where uh-huh. there's not spa I mean the image of you holding Christie in those early yeah. hours, right? You just didn't you just didn't know this this was you were beginning to that expanding angle, you were beginning to get your head and heart around this other way of Being in relation,
1: I think the point of like not knowing is interesting. Like not knowing how to do this, or not knowing what to talk about, or how to have that experience. Like I think about that image of being in the bed. Like, should I actually even call him to the bed? Right. Like the image is like no one knows what to do is this okay? Is it okay to let this person who's like hurt you to hold you? Like, what would people think? Is that okay? Is that okay for me? Is like, no one knows what to do in those moments, right? Like, is this all right? What does my training tell me? What does my instinct tell me? Like, what should I do? I don't know. So just doing the next best thing that you think is okay. Like, it's okay to call that person. It's okay to be held. It's okay to not know. It's okay to have truth come at different times because we don't know. I just, I look at that and I think, oh, you're such a baby, right? Like, look at you guys. But the point was, is like, we just didn't know. So you just lean on like, okay, there's no right way to navigate this space. And so when I look at that picture of us, it's like, well, we were asking the questions that we kind of thought we needed to know. And we we held on to each other in the ways that we could and opened ourselves up in ways that we were ready. And so that idea of like not knowing and kind of dancing, that makes a lot of sense to me. And Christy,
0: what you're saying, I mean, I can just imagine for a listener who is in the eye of this particular storm, what you just said is so epic because – There's so much shame Mm -hmm. in staying, Mm -hmm. in considering rebuilding, in turning towards, in letting the, you know, quote unquote, perpetrator Mm -hmm. hold you. So just in what you just said, there is so much value around. That's right. There is no manual for this. There are just the next little baby step of what might possibly offer comfort, what might possibly offer just one more angle of Clarity, and when we take a hard thing, and this is an incredibly hard thing, and we add that layer of shoulds and the layer of shame, and a strong woman would or a strong woman wouldn't, or a, you know, all of that just makes it infinitely more difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I've had friends who said, for instance, like, "Oh, I would never do that." Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Like, yes. 100%, right. like mm-hmm. out, you know. I'm like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Right? Like, you don't know. I think that's the thing. Is like when you said that, it was like, I mean, like you don't know. Every relationship is going to be different. It's based on different things. It's based on different stories. It's based on different connections. I think one of the things that talking about recently was that we had a really great friendship. That idea of parallel play, like we were really good at that. We were really <laughs> good friends, and then it created something more. I think when things have gotten really yucky or they were devastating, it was like, yeah. But we didn't start with yuck, Mm -hmm. right? We started with this essence of desiring something good for one another. And so this is bad, yeah, and it's not a good place to go and be in. And this isn't where we're going to end, right? So I think that everyone's stories are different, And so that idea about shame, like I've heard all kinds of things like, well, you got a woman up. Right. Or, right, like, you're like, hmm, okay. you know, people stop talking to you, right? Like people go silent because of the choices that you are making. I've hit a lot of those things. And so then you do start to question yourself, like, is this okay? Is this all right? And again, you just don't know. So I think for both of us, what I would say is like we made a commitment to figuring out what in the world, what what it was, before we could make a commitment to say no. Right? So the idea was like, let's figure out what this thing is.
0: And separate from the, any decision we're going to make about who we are mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, let's figure out what this is. Because I do want the best for you in the end. Like, listen. <laughs> We have created something. So I'm still going to see your face around town. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Like the idea is that. So no matter now or later, I still want something good for you in life because like that just benefits the world. What helped you in your rebuilding process? What was
0: it? What were the things that Rainier was doing, hmm. saying that were, that helped you in the recovery?
1: Hmm. It's a great question. Well, responsibility taking is a really important aspect of healing. And again, I want to say that's over time because we learn things and I don't know what I need at that time. I don't know what I want to hear at that time. Right. So it takes both of us to show up. But I think responsibility taking has been the main healing agent in our relationship. Even today, if something happens, I feel insecure. Like the other day, I text him. I'm in a social situation. I said to him something like, I feel like you're not paying attention to me or I feel like you're disregarded. It was something like that. And I was like, this is happening real time. It's bothering me. I need to tell you about it. Right? And what did he say? I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. I didn't mean to do that. I had no idea. When did it start? I'm like, oh, shoot, when did it start? So it was like, it's really tracking down that thing. So even today when it happens, I would say that has been the main essence of this ability to heal is responsibility taking. And on my end, too, I can say, oh, you got to take responsibility. The thing is, is that I do, too.
0: Before you say your responsibility, I love that what this in order to feel Rainier as a trustworthy person, you have had to let him know. Hey, I feel insecure. I need an accommodation. I need, which is the opposite of the little girl on the trail who was Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I don't need anything. I'll just go faster. So, in order to be able to trust this man next to you, you've had to do something different. That's just so not that I ever would want that for you, Mm -hmm. but how amazing Mm -hmm. that the heart of your healing of being able to feel like you can lean into him is you have to talk about what you need.
1: Yeah. I think that's really been beautiful in this process. And actually, I would say him seeing my pain is not another way of like me avoiding myself. So like sitting in pain, I have said, you will watch me cry. Like you will see that this hurts. And we felt like we had this really interesting thing that happened. It was a very tangible thing, but I love to walk. I think I love to work out my emotions is really the truth of it. And Rainier likes to walk. But he doesn't love it as much as me. Is the real
2: truth? Not nearly as much. Like it's not even <laughs> <a> close. He Yeah, let's be clear. He <laughs> will. And <walk>. he can. <laughs> His legs do work. Sure, okay. Sure, sure, sure.
1: It was in a season where it was really tough, and just kind of like we were probably going back to our old patterns of behavior. I don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to. And I think at that moment, I'm like, I need to feel it all, kind of. And the rain came down, and so we live in the Pacific Northwest. There's rain all the time, but it was like torrential. And he's running for the house. And I'm like, he's trying to get out of feeling this. You know, like, I'm, like, very tangible in this moment, right? All of
2: a sudden, I feel this cold, icy hand on my shoulder pulling me back. Mm. And she looks over and says, you will not get out of this. And she held me in the rain there, in the discomfort. Mm. You know, I think she understood what was happening. That so many of my habits, so many of my patterns... Maybe both of ours were trying to get out of or avoid these places of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so she understood the wisdom of being embodied, even if it was just standing in the cold rain. No, no, you cannot run for comfort on this one. Be here with me in this. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That was a that was a miserable moment, but one that has taught me a lot.
1: Yeah. So I think taking responsibility and being seen in the pain. And also him sitting with that yeah. um, has been one of those things. So responsibility taking, I would say, has been the bedrock of our, like, working through our stuff.
0: Well, and the science <laughs> backs it up. The research on infidelity is that that's how recovery, I mean, that is the the key to recovery. Couples who do move through it in a way where it's not just like a white knuckle recovery, but like a, a deep recovery – that is the variable, is the partner who did harm being able to remain accountable, responsible, and emotionally attuned, which yeah. makes so much sense. And that's what you're saying was that was the ingredient that mattered so much, is Rainier again and again and again being able to witness, take responsibility, be present. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about, about responsibility yeah. and that Rainier – I guess I'd be curious to hear from you, Rainier, yeah. like what has helped you stay – In responsibility.
2: For one thing, I actually just felt genuinely bad about it. I was sitting there, and I remember laying on the bed next to one another, and I had a Pablo Neruda poem (laughs) occur to me where he said, What have I done with this garden I have been entrusted with? And I suddenly just break down in tears, (laughs) and she looks over at me and she said, Good, good, it's good it's good to see that you have remorse. And that was not top of mind for me, but I recognized in that process how important it was to actually feel an appropriate level of shame. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot... uh, Pop psychology can get in all kinds of tangents, and one is the rejection of shame altogether. Shame was such an appropriate emotion for me. Mm -hmm. I had become a character that I was no longer proud of being. Mm -hmm. And it was appropriate to call that into question and to say... What character do you wish to become in this story? And for me, that looked like taking on new habits. And one of the first ones was listening to her experience, Mm -hmm. an experience that I had become profoundly oblivious to. But herein lies something you said. I really liked this person. This was a person I really loved. And I could remember that loving communion that had started that relationship I wanted to hear her. Yeah. I wanted to see her, and I wanted her healing. And so I returned to that place of loving intention where, hey, whatever comes out of this, I want your healing. I want your good. Uh I look back, and I think you were having a similar process as I was in that to some extent, but I really wanted your healing out of it. Like, hey, whatever happens in this, I have that goodwill here.
0: You both found ways to separate Decisions that you would make about the status of your relationship, from a sense of wanting healing for yourself and the other person.
1: Mm-hmm. Were there times that you didn't think the marriage would endure? Sure, I think. But it all comes down to wanting to do the the right. It comes down to messaging. For me, like, the right thing to do, what's right for the family, what's right for tradition, what's like, what is the right thing? Will this change? It felt tender. It felt tender for a long time. And you're always wanting the other person to choose you. So I think probably the scariest places in our relationship have been when there's been ambiguity When someone doesn't say, put that foot in and say, okay, or two feet in. So I think that those places, again, you don't know, but we were committed. I'm going to go back to that thing, like committing to figure out what this was before we were willing to take the foot off the gas. So there's lots of messages around you. Right. There's lots of pressure around you. Probably the biggest thing is, can I forgive? Like when you say that question, how can I get back to loving relationship, was really like, how can I forgive myself, him? What Hmm. has that process been like? Forgiveness. (laughs) Well, this is a little convoluted because of our upbringing in terms of Christian uh, perspective around like forgive and forget and Um, things like that. You know, I started to do some deep diving into who forgave uh, historical figures, who decided to forgive who. So I did a lot of reading of Desmond Tutu during that time. I wanted to find people that really had to forgive to the core of their bones to live a better life. And I went to places that I wanted to see how people did it. And he was um, my guide during that time. I really believe like forgiveness is an act of consciousness where I can see it. And I can hear it and I can walk through it because it's not a secret anymore to myself and to the other person. And so creativity can start out of a place of forgiveness. Like we couldn't build on the old. We had to forgive so we could find creativity and move forward.
2: I remember at one point rather exasperatedly thinking, will she ever forgive me? And I think that's a really common thought. You know, that I hear a lot of people who have made significant missteps in their relationship think, you know, will I ever get the forgiveness? I had that because I kind of felt like maybe I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to accept that as a possible outcome. Mm -hmm. Actually, she doesn't owe me forgiveness. It's selfish of me to ask. Mm -hmm. What I can do is show up as the person I am becoming and choosing to be in relationship to her. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is actually her journey. And I think I had to really let go of that thread, to be honest, and continue to, as Christy said, take responsibility for the actions I had done and commit to taking on new habits and new patterns of being. Yep.
0: What are the practices that you really rely on that help you stay clearly in your own integrity?
2: Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that came out of that was uh, choosing authenticity over performance. Mm-hmm. That's a mindset. And yet that commitment has become one of the largest in our relationship. Um, one of the ways we understand authenticity is radical honesty. Part of our practice is to share our thoughts, our feelings, our experiences as close to the event horizon with one another as we can, Mm -hmm. those relevant uh, experiences. And we don't actually discount things as relevant or irrelevant. We try and do some data downloads to each other and just say, hey, this is what's happening. These are the thoughts. These are the feelings. That kind of authenticity, which is profoundly difficult, but gets easier over time, I think is one of the saving graces of our relating as Christy so often says, I know who I'm in relationship with. Mm -hmm. Um, I can choose you moment to moment because I know who I'm choosing. And so I think that is one thing, but it expands beyond Christy. I recognize that I needed men in my life. I needed individuals in my life who got the whole of me, who knew me in a room. And so I've been very fortunate, but also made some tough choices to surround myself with peers and betters who know me. And, you know, I try and not pay a ton of attention to what the world at large says about me, but I pay very profound attention to what those people say. Uh And when they give me feedback or say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea, I listen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew I needed that front line in my life where I have no internal walls. They get the whole of me. I think that those are the practices. Also, I do a lot of self-inquiry. Right. I don't want too many compartments of myself remaining closed either. I want to know me first and foremost. So that kind of ongoing meditative practice, whether that's writing it or um, sitting with and being in my thought, mm-hmm. um, is very, very important um, for me also. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. And knowing that he commits to these kinds of practices what's that like for you how is that for you to know that, that these are the self inquiry the community of men that that's what is that like for you hmm.
1: well i would have to agree that that is why a relationship works absolutely And I ask the same of myself because I withhold. The thing is, like, we're both withholders, whether it's his experiences or my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions around things. Like, we both really were in realms of withholding. And so I ask myself, like, you've got to speak your mind. You've got to share this emotion. It's not going to be too much. So for me, I ask myself those same questions to show up authentically and honest with him, And that that is the practice that we choose to do together. And if we didn't, it actually wouldn't work. Right. That is the bedrock. If we didn't do that, it wouldn't work. And that is the caring and the kindness that we give each other is I'm in relationship with you, the real person. It's not an image. It's not an idea. It's not a fantasy. It's not whatever I've conjured up. And I want to be in the relationship with the real you. And it's not always beautiful, right? Like we are not beautiful people that bring all these, right, like uh, just magical things to earth. Right. But it's in the connection and honesty around that it is magical or beautiful, right? Because you can do that. So without it, it doesn't work. What are you most proud of about
0: each other's experience through this? Where does your pride most live about the other?
2: I think Christy's superpower is holding things together. I'm really proud of that. Our relationship wouldn't have lasted if she hadn't continued to play that out. But I'll be honest, that was a pretty conditioned superpower. Mm -hmm. That's family of origin gifts right there. I'm probably most proud every time she chooses herself. I'm so proud every time she... Whatever that is, whether that's, like, career leveling up or diversifying, you know, her bedrock of friends or whatever that – whenever I see her choose herself in this process, I just get so damn proud because I know how hard that has been historically for her because she's always chosen belonging or to keep the connection, the belonging. So I love watching her own process of expanding self and selfhood. And I, I think that's been a big part of this as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
0: How about you? What are you most proud of about Rainier through this process?
1: Mm, I am really proud of his ability to surrender himself and let go of the shame and let go of the heaviness and the shadows that have been locked away. And that you're so gifted and what you do, like you're so gifted, whether it's speaking to people, like writing, uh, like really sharing who you are. And I've, I really think that you've always wanted that. But when you started to um, access all those things and bring them up, you become so much more of who you are. I think you're so much more potent in the world, to our kids, to me, to the people that love to hear what you have to say. And so I really value that you've mined those places. It's so important. You both have given a really
0: huge gift to anybody and everybody who listens to this. You're sharing your deep humanity, your growth, your progress. There's so much for people to take to wherever they need to take it. And I'm beyond grateful for your generosity. Truly, your story is, um, it's so touching in all of the best ways. I'm so grateful for having had the chance to sit with both of you and I mean, I I, I just feel privileged to know you both and I am looking forward. I've got so many thoughts in my mind about, okay, so now where might we go (laughs) next and where might we go from here? And I am so grateful for you taking the chance and trusting me Mm -hmm. and being in the space with me. And I cherish this. And I think there's so much learning from the courage and the work that you have put in individually and together and on this relationship.
2: Thank you. And thanks for treating these places tenderly. These are our most human spaces. I think the world at large often gets, um, we obviously put our best foots forward often in life. These are not necessarily, at least for me, my finest hours on this planet. And yet, thank you for just treating them just so humanely. Um, What a gift to be able to sit here with both of you and talk about these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The title, Reimagining Love, that's what this is. It's like, it is. It's reimagining everything that we thought we needed, the messages that we had, the creativity that can be brought back into relationship. It is. It's a different way of perceiving and feeling love. And so you embody that. And I appreciate you bringing that to the world, too. Thank you so much.
0: We've just heard an incredible story of love, and pain and transformation for me this conversation reinforced and deepened my understanding of how our early experiences particularly in our families of origin affect what we expect and how we behave in our intimate relationships this conversation also expanded my imaginings of redemption and healing i'm thinking about you reimagining love listener how is this conversation landing for you As you let the episode settle inside, I want to preview next week. It will be just me and just you, one of our first episode of the month, Deep Dives. And our topic will be figuring out whether trust can be rebuilt after betrayal or deceit. So you can stay tuned for that. I'm honored to have been able to spend time connecting with Rainier and Christy and to share their story with you. Thank you for being here. And until next time... Be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.